Welcome everyone, this is Amy Alexander and I do marketing and communications for the Richardson Chamber of Commerce. I have a treat today, you're really gonna enjoy hearing Mark Parmley. He's a member of the Richardson Chamber Board. He's CEO of the parent company of Golden Chick, Jalapeno Tree, Fireside Pies, Texadelphia, JC's Burger House, Hef's Burgers, Lola's Handcrafted Kitchen, and State 28 Grill. Just on its own, Golden Chick has more than 180 franchises. I know my husband hears all of these restaurants too, and let me just tell you that I am contributing to your salary at this point very well. well we enjoy eating you. at all of your restaurants. <laughs> yeah. Well, thank you. Well, good. Well, I, I'm so thankful for you joining us. Just as an overview, basically what I want to talk about is one, I want to clue in our audience what a big deal it is that you are here at Richardson. You see, I think you're right down the street from us on Arapahoe. That one, that y'all are that big of a thing. And two, to kind of check in and see how you have navigated the pandemic and then what you see the future looking like. Great. As an FYI and a place point, why don't you brag on yourself just a little bit about how, give us your 20-second kind of commercial on how big you are. Well, you know, I bought Golden in 1989, uh, along with a couple of friends, and you know, I had 60 units back then. We now have 180 plus with new units. Uh, we have a very active pipeline right now, so we'll have three a month opening up across the country, really as far as the eye can see. And then along the way, I've had some opportunities to buy some other brands, all of which I like when somebody comes to the table and then can be the operating partner. You know, Jalapeno Tree was was the first, and then uh, all the rest of the fun that you mentioned <laughs> have come along in some form or fashion. And, and we were very fortunate because we are... Well, I mean, we're in the restaurant business, but in particular, banks view us as, as a different risk level than you know most restaurants because we're a franchisor. We are a landlord in many cases, and then we just happen to be in the restaurant business so that, you know, we have a very stable, growing royalty stream, you know, going all the way back to 1989. And then for Golden Chick, we own... Now about 15% of the system's real estate. And, you know, that, that gives us the base. I, I call Golden Chick the foundational brand. And then that provides the overhead and, and cash flow and other resources then to oh, experiment or buy things at the right opportunity or, or even start new concepts and see where they go. I think I saw somewhere that you keep franchises basically under your umbrella so you can kind of test things out before you go to the regular franchisee market. Uh, actually, right now, four what we call company store locations that we own and operate. There also is an immigration program called EB-5 that allows a foreign investor to put money into a project that creates jobs within this country. And then we manage those. And then after a person has gotten uh, their green card, then we buy that investor back out. So we have 15 of those and we operate all of those, you know, as, as well. And then, like I said, we, we build, build units for certain franchisees and, you know, it, it, it keeps us popping. 
But let's get into a little bit of what 2020 has done to you. Because, I mean, you still are talking growth. How has the pandemic either positively or negatively affected your either your plans or what your business is planning for the year? Well, the easy answer is that it's done both. It's different, Amy, for the different brands. Golden Chick has a drive-through, and I thank God every day for drive-throughs. Yeah. But even Golden Chick took a hit when the shelter in place was first ordered. I, I really think there were people who thought that meant you couldn't go outside their house. But we went from being up on comparable store sales to down overnight. And then I think people started feeling a little more comfortable in getting out. The, and you know, dining rooms for full service and casual themed restaurants, uh, you know, those dining rooms were closed. So we saw a, a lot of activity through the drive-throughs. You know, the other brands uh, haven't been that fortunate, but we've tried e- even with those. Third-party delivery became important, offering to-go specials, uh, what we call home meal replacement, you know, that bundles or promotions that offer a family a meal, of, trying to make it convenient for somebody to say, okay, great, I'm going to swing by and buy this, or I'm going to call one of the third-party delivery. delivery. But, you know, initially, uh, I was pretty concerned about what, what would the depth of this be and what would be the length of the chasm. So a multi-prong approach. The first thing I did was I took a 50% pay cut. And then I have two sons in the business, and I volunteered them. And then we are a landlord, but in many cases, we're also a tenant. So we ask landlords for some kind of concessions. And really, in, in most cases, it, it turned out to be you know deferring some of the rent to a future time. We had banks actually call us and say, hey, we have a COVID program. Would you like to defer principal payments. I said, sure. That, that was helpful. You know, as I said, even Golden Chick had taken a hit, even with the drive-throughs. And, you know, we were down double digits for a couple weeks in a row. The payroll protection plan loans came out. And so we filed for those as well as all of our brands. And it was really very, very helpful, particularly to the brands that didn't have drive-throughs. And we're always active in development and construction. For things that were already under construction and had funding, we kept those going. For projects, let's say under contract or we owned the land, but we hadn't started construction, we, we froze all of that. And like I said, it was just kind of a leave no stone unturned. And maybe, maybe any one or two of those things would have been enough to get us through. But we decided, let's lay out a plan that includes five or six or seven steps just in case we're unsuccessful or in case it becomes even worse than it, you know, first look. Is there something you can group together and saying, like, we're looking forward in these areas for these restaurants, and this is what we think is going to work well in the future, and I don't know if it's technology or are people going to be eating differently? I mean, those are two different kind of questions, but. Yeah, and I think, I think the answer is really yes to both, but what we, you know, first saw were people were very concerned and rightfully so. Then as time went on, we be, you know, I I would see it in the mornings when the shelter in place was first uh, enacted. 
even at rush hours, it was like a ghost town on 635 and 75. Then as time went on, we began to see people getting, I think, more comfortable and getting out either to work or to eat or, or whatever they were doing. So, you know, I still haven't seen the traffic back to what it was, but you know, get a little more heavy. And then this last few weeks, you, know, you can hardly turn on the TV without hearing about second wave or all of these things. And so we have noticed that I think people have begin to cut back some. We've seen it hit. Again, the set, the concepts that don't have drive-throughs, we've seen those sales now trickle down. Again, they had been down. We adjusted the business model. You know, we're making progress. And now, you know, we're seeing a, a, a little dip again. And Is there, and I kind of grouped this up too much, is it too soon to say how your future might be? Because I know, like, even before this started, y'all had talked about kiosks and apps and, and those kind of things. Are those still helpful yeah. or you can move forward with those? There are some things that we're doing. We're looking at doing modular buildings to cut our development time. But well, in those, we're actually shrinking the dining room some because we don't think there's going to be uh, oh that same level. We think our percentage of business going through the drive-through will will increase, and and again the third-party deliveries and and some of those things that even when people feel a little more comfortable getting out and about, I think there's going to be a real segment of the population that maybe always are going to be fearful of you know, getting a little too close to someone else, and for you know people of certain age and. And health backgrounds, I certainly understand that because I check all those boxes. Sure. You know, on the third-party delivery, who knew that basically pizza delivery guys were going to do so well? But the third-party delivery that's come so big, is that anything you're interested in in establishing any kind of delivery? You know, if there's anyone out there that remembers many, many years ago, we used to do our own delivery at about half of our locations. And they were in these trucks that had ovens and a big giant yellow telephone. How funny. So, it, and it is very helpful. You have the pizza business, Chinese, chicken, they're all foods that are well suited for delivery. But then we saw the rise of Uber Eats and Grubhub and, and you know, some of the other DoorDash and some of the others. And we found that let them make some money. It's it's very easy for the consumer, you know, dispatching and all of that, the things that we were doing that we no longer have to do. And, you know, the customer pays a little and the restaurant pays a little. We used to, particularly when gas went up many, many years ago, we started a delivery charge and, oh, people were very upset by that. But now they don't mind paying a third party a delivery charge. Is there anything that you all do that's particularly innovative or different? And it could be from other restaurant chains or even other businesses, but that you have found for almost like, how are you a trendsetter in saying, we're going to do things differently and do it like this? And kind of viewed that hope is not a strategy. So as soon as things started happening, we started moving in that direction. I just happened to be in Vietnam and Cambodia when COVID-19 was 
just starting to be big news. We were probably some of the last flights out to get there. So I saw the concern. I, I saw the steps that people and countries were taking over there. So I came home and didn't really think too much of it till it began to really spread. We're fortunate. We tried to appeal to our strengths. We did not cut marketing. We felt it was important to continue to get the word out. The message changed a little bit and we offer delivery through third parties. We have drive-throughs. But I think the, the other thing that really helps us and other chicken chains is, again, this idea of home meal replacement. I mean, if you get a box of pizza, you just have a box of pizza. But if you can order chicken, whether it be fried or whether it be roast, you can get side items, you can get salad, you can lay out a meal. And, and we have seen the chains that offer that. It's a huge plus. And so we took that and applied it to our jalapeno tree, which are, you know, large full service Mexican restaurants. We did family packs and promoted those. And the governor did a great thing. He allowed restaurants and bars to sell alcohol to the public, at, you know, off premise, which had never been done before. We were making gallons of margaritas. The, the restaurant business is really funny. I, I've all, you know, I've been at it for so long, I mean, literally 50 years. So rarely do you see an innovative idea, but you see somebody taking someone else's idea and just making it better. So we've tried to do things like at Fireside Pies, we, we were offering $10 pies on something that would normally cost 14, 16, and then did half price on beer and wine. And then, you know, this month we do something different. I think it's 25% off everything, you know. Keep trying and see what works. There's sometimes things you think are going to work may not work, but you try something else, you think, oh, well, let's give it a try, see what happens. And, and it just happens to click with the public. You're willing to try something new and oh, see yeah. if it works. You know, I was telling you about the modular building. It happens to be a little bit smaller and we'll buy enough of them that the cost will be cheaper and the franchisees will benefit from a shorter development time. But we're also looking now at units that are going to be drive-through only and they'll have a walk-up you know, capacity, and then they'll be laid out efficiently uh, and have spaces reserved for the third-party people. We'll have no dining rooms. Uh, our first one of those is uh, scheduled to be on Ledbetter here in Dallas. <laughs> what what we have found, and we left this as an option to the franchisees, they found that as they focused on drive-through, they became very efficient, and sales actually have gone up and labor costs have actually come down as a percentage. They don't have the dining room to contend with. So even though the dining rooms can be open, the vast majority of Golden Chick are still closed. One down the street uh, from us here in Richardson's always had a very good lunch crowd. So that dining room is open. Sure. And it's closest fast food restaurant. So let me just tell you, they, they like me there. Uh -huh. <laughs> That's great. So as a think through this, beyond just the food part, how do you run your company in a way that you feel like it is different than others? And, and, you know, I read somewhere that you like making sure that employees feel like they're working for a cause. How is that yeah. now, and especially during the pandemic? You must have read my saying somewhere, heard it, where 
I, I believe that people will work eight hours for a paycheck with 24 hours for a cause. Yeah. Uh, and if you think about that, I mean, a worthy cause, uh, people work for no pay and, and literally work around the clock. So, of course, we are not a nonprofit with with a big cause, but I guess how one of the ways we're different, you know, we're not a, a giant company. I mean, we are still family owned and operated. It's a board of one being me. So there aren't these, you know, pressures for increasing profit every quarter. And, and we're big believers in people first, families first. And, you know, and I think if you'll take care of your team, they will take care of you. I, you know, I had mentioned to you when I took the pay cut, we gathered everyone at the corporate office and, and said, okay, here's here are a lot of things out there. Don't panic. We're in good shape. And here are the steps we're taking. So I want to let you know that uh, me and my two sons are taking a 50% pay cut. And if there is any one of you that can look at their budget and take a 90-day deferral of pay, uh, would appreciate that. If you're not obligated, it's not expected, we'll think no less of you if you can't. We, Amy, we had an amazing response to that. Part of it was is that everyone banded together and said, hey, yeah, I, I'll make a personal sacrifice if it means one of my teammates doesn't have to be furloughed. And so we had zero furloughs. That's, and then that's just those kinds of things. I come back, you know, come back. I, I, you know, there's that old thing about, you know, nice guys finish last. I don't believe that. I think on, corny things like honesty is the best policy, you know, treat people with respect, you know, the old treat, like you'd like to be treated, you know, some of those things, uh, they, they really come back. I mean, it's, I'm a believer in karma, both good and bad. You know, I'm now 65. I've, I love what I do and who I do it with. And everybody says, you know, when are you going to retire? And I don't know that I ever will. Again, because I enjoy it. And, and I feel like it's a real family, real family atmosphere. And, and our turnover, therefore, is, is really next to nothing at the corporate office and at the general manager level in the restaurants. The hourly folks turnover, and that, that happens at all the restaurants I've ever known. But anyway, it's, it's again, people first, family first, rather than, hey, you got you to gotta do this to make quarterly earnings. Sure. The first restaurant was started, I read, like San Marcos, and then you've kind of spread from there. But part of that, part of my question to you is why Richardson for your corporate office now and, and you know, Sure. I, That's I kind of like bragging on Richardson, so I'd like, I hope it's good answers. <laughs> oh, it will be, I promise you. You know, we, my wife and I were here in Texas, and the economy had turned, and I had an opportunity, as did she, to go do something in New York. And so I went and played investment banker for three years and, until somebody offered me the opportunity to, to invest in gold and be the operating partner. Mm -hmm. By reputation, RISD is uh, known not only DFW, but nationally. And so that was my, my experience. I, even in high school, I knew somebody who wanted to be a teacher. She kind of gave me her short list of where she was looking at. And one of them was Richardson, Texas, and, and she was in Ohio. It was really easy. We had decided that we wanted our children, both of whom were very young at the time, go through Richardson schools. Now, I have found I've enjoyed being part of the 
chamber. I've, you know, I've enjoyed doing business here. I think the, you know, the Golden Chicken Richardson has been here a very long time. And, and I tell anybody who will listen that, you know, come, come look at Rick Richardson. It, it's this neat blend of a vibrant suburb that feels like a small town. You'll see a lot of the same people. You see a lot of the same spirit. And so it, it's, it's just a, a great town. So when it came time to move our headquarters, I asked some brokers to look and I, I was able to, to purchase that. And, and I enjoy being in Richardson, uh, down the street from the rec center, down the street from city hall and the chamber. And it's been a great, great home for us. And, and we have outside tenants and I've enjoyed uh, working with those folks as well. Sure. Now, do you, you had mentioned the small town feel, do you target more small towns or large? What do you constitute a good place for you to put a restaurant? When I first bought Golden back in 1989, I would say probably 75% of our locations were in towns of less than 10,000 people. And and I'm including suburban cities in that as well. But Dallas Morning News, uh, after an interview, called us the Walmart of chicken. And so I was getting on a plane to go to Mexico and I see a, a story with my ugly mug on it. And it's talking about the Walmart and chicken, well, just by coincidence, I got bumped to the second story because the first story was the death of Sam Wal- uh, Walton of yeah. Walmart. So I had a Walmart story and, and then the Walmart of chicken. So it really was the same kind of approach as Walmart. You don't need as much marketing presence in smaller markets or in suburban communities. And just like Walmart, they, they went to small towns, they build up their business, their name, their cash flow, and then begin to uh, acquire you know, more costly urban locations. And we have followed the same path. I would say a majority of our locations now are not in those small towns and are you know, the number of stores in the DFW-TV area has gone from, say, 20 to 120. And so it allows us to be on TV, allows us to be a sponsor at the Ranger, Ranger Stadium, although that doesn't do us much good right now, but and get involved in things like the Dallas Regional Spelling Bee and, and be sponsors of things and get involved in UD. Yeah, well... That- course I always go to uh, the state fair and y'all have a thing there and then I'm like what do I want and I'm like I really shouldn't get golden chicken I mean seriously it's on my block during work but anyway so y'all well, have to, to the state fair we are not the fair is closed and it's too early to make an announcement but I think when you hear you're going to smile because we're attempting to team up uh, with somebody at our stores that that is fair food so last year we did the funnel cake during the fair time we'll do that again but we have a special treat that uh, we're working on right now. well so, good well i will look forward to that now you had mentioned that your sons are in business with you and i saw that you had hired someone i don't know i, I always wonder how they feel about some of this you hired someone to train them to take care of the business everybody has to be pretty understanding about how that's kind of done but how how what skills do you want them to learn and or what are you looking forward to with them or how, do, how does that working relationship work? The very first thing I have always tried to instill in them is, 
it's that old corny line that honesty is the best policy. I want them, I want everybody here at the office to never feel like they're in a position where they have to bend the truth. And, And maybe people don't always like your answer, but over time they will understand that you're never going to lie to them. And I, you know, that earns respect. I think people understand that you, you know, you deal fairly. You end up getting to see some opportunities because somebody says, "Well, you know, this person uh, you did a deal with them. They, you know, spoke highly of, of the way it went. So I'm here. That's a big deal. Now, also for the, for the boys who are both in their 30s, I don't, you know, I never want them to feel like they're competing." or I don't want, you know, money or position to, to come between them. And so for us, it's working out really well. My son, uh, Michael, who is a bit involved with uh, leadership, Richardson for several years mm-hmm. is an attorney. He went to UTD and then UT Law in Austin. And so I'm working with him to, to learn what I've learned through the years on real estate. And he gets involved in contracts and other legal matters. Our other son, Matt, is going to go into Leadership Richardson this year, and he's a, a mason at uh, the lodge uh, not far from here. And, and so they, you know, they have both been involved in the community. And it, it, again, I've just encouraged them to learn as much as possible. And I didn't push them to come into the business. I wanted them to do that on, the own, on their own. So after that, they graduated, both of them went a different direction. And, and now they're here and it's, it's really great. But I did hire a new president for Golden Chick because I wanted them to have a mentor other than me. We have a bit of a horizon and I get to be able to, what I call the long goodbye. Perfect. Well, I, I think this has been a great conversation. Is there anything we haven't talked about that maybe you'd like to share with the business people in Richardson? I think Richardson's a great community and there are people out there that are successful. And the, the really neat thing is that they're willing to share and they're willing to help. You know, it's a, it's a pretty passionate group um, that leads the Chamber of Commerce. And there are resources. I was very surprised to find out when we uh, first were getting into the EB-5, we found there was an international division of the chamber and translation resources and referrals that that was I mean it was really really very helpful. Like I said, I'll preach to anyone that will listen that what a good home Richardson is for their family and and, and really for their business. I I've gotten that plug in. I I'm passionate about my business. I am passionate about the chamber as well and the city. Well, perfect. Well. I I sincerely appreciate your time here today, and we'll wrap it up. Thank you, listeners, for joining us in this great conversation with Mark. Great. Thank you, Amy.